Welcome to RaiseTheLineWithOsmosis.org. Seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, everybody. I'm Michael Carice. Affording the cost of specialty medications for complex conditions can be an obstacle for many patients, but so can administrative obstacles in the healthcare system. As a result, up to 27% of specialty prescriptions and therapies are abandoned or never started at all. Well, today we're going to learn more about this problem and what's being done about it from Sean Polikirthy, co-founder and CEO at Somacare, a software company that works with providers, drug makers, and payers to streamline the prior authorization process and other red tape that prevents timely access to these needed treatments. Thanks very much for being with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. So your education background is in engineering and economics, but you spent most of your career in the healthcare space. What drew you to healthcare? It's interesting. So my family is just a ton of medical professionals. Both my parents are doctors, brother, lots of cousins, uncles, and whatnot. And so when I started thinking about a career, I said, I am willing to do basically any industry and in any part of the world, as long as it's not in healthcare. So I started in consulting. And when I left, I knew I wanted to be at a company at a very small startup that was doing something that I actually really cared about. And I kept running into this situation where I I talked to these startups that were doing intellectually interesting things that seemed like they might have promise. But at the end of the day, I'd finish the conversation. I think, I don't really care if this is something that exists or doesn't exist in the world. And I kept running into that experience. And around that time, um, a friend of mine connected me to his dad, who was starting a healthcare technology company. I knew his dad and I I liked him and I thought he was smart. I said, you know, I'm I'm not interested. It's healthcare. I want to stay, you know, miles away from that, but I'll have the conversation just, you know, as a courtesy and uh, had the conversation. And I ended up really just loving the idea and, you know, loved what they were working on. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, what has kind of drawn me to healthcare and kept me in healthcare is really two things. So one is, it's just such a complex and, and wacky world in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, from an intellectual perspective, I, I just love the puzzle of how do you align all of these very disparate incentives? And if you can figure out how to kind of piece those incentives together, that's really where you can get magic to happen. If you can kind of thread that needle of the incentives. And then the second piece is, you know, at the end of the day, I, I believe perhaps naively that if you can create value for the system, then you can create value and you can help a patient at the end of the day. And that is really meaningful. Always being able to go home and say, you know, I might've been working on stuff that was annoying or felt like busy work, or it may not have been the most exciting work that day. But at the end of the day, I know that what we're doing is pushing forward towards a better experience and a better set of care for patients. And I think that's one of the beauties of actually being in the healthcare industry. Talk a little bit more about the scope of the problem that I touched on at the beginning and the impact it has on patients. Yeah, absolutely. So you can kind of think about that from like a macro perspective and a micro perspective. From a macro perspective, you mentioned 27% of patients that don't get onto therapy. We've actually seen numbers that are a little higher depending on the disease state. But what's interesting is, you know, there was a study that was published in JAMA a few years ago where they looked at the overall costs associated with our healthcare system. And they found that in the US alone, there's about $300 billion in administrative waste. That's waste. That's not administrative work. That's waste. That's administrative work that served no purpose, that created no value, that was pure wastage from the way the system is set up. 
So the complexity and the administrative complexity, it's not super sexy. There's so much waste and so much, like that's the size almost of, of our entire US prescription drug industry in pure waste that's doing nothing for anyone. Um, so that's kind of, if you think about the macros perspective, it's just a lot of money that's spent. Like we talk a lot about the cost of care. There's so much money that's spent on things that don't actually drive anything related to the patient experience or the patient quality of care. And so I think it's really important to think about that. From a micro perspective, you know, it's interesting. We work in a subject called prior authorization. And what I've realized is no one really knows what prior authorization is unless they've had a bad experience with it. I had this kind of hit home recently where I lost someone that was very close to me. He had been battling cancer for almost a decade. And I remember talking to his wife about three weeks before he passed away. She called me and said, Chum, you know, we're, we're having to go through this prior authorization for this new experimental therapy that, you know, it's kind of a last ditch thing. And we're having to go through this prior authorization process. Can you help? And so, so you know, I looked into it and I, I tried to see what I could do to help with the prior authorization because, you know, that's, that's what we do day in, day out. And the crazy thing is this process was something that his wife, now widow, had to deal with in the, the final few weeks of his life. And I don't even blame the insurance company for asking these questions, but what's crazy to me is just how intensive it was to get onto that therapy when it turned out they were always going to put him onto that therapy in these final waning hours of his life. And, and, and that's kind of the, the patient burden, which is there's so much pain associated with actually getting patients onto therapy, on staying on therapy, on doing the right care. And, and that at the end of the day filters down to whether or not the patient gets a certain therapy or not. And also, even if they do, kind of the experience that they have to go through in order to get and stay on therapy. Like it is way too hard to be a patient in this country for any kind of complex condition, and frankly, for some simple stuff too. And that's kind of the microscopic perspective, which I didn't have quite a, a personal appreciation for until I watched my cousin's wife go through this. Well, I'm sorry to hear about that, but I, I imagine in days and weeks and years ahead, that example is going to stick with you. Yeah, absolutely. And just the stress it causes people that seems unnecessary. Yeah. So what is the solution that Samacare has come up with to break through some of these obstacles? We have built a medical practice software that providers and their staff use to digitize, streamline, and automate this process of getting the insurance company paperwork to the insurance company in the form they're expecting and capturing the response back. The whole idea behind what we do is we're going to do everything we can to streamline that work of you know, what's called the prior authorization, the actual insurance company documentation that's required. Our end goal, the end state we're pushing towards is a prior authorization is as easy as a credit card swipe. We want it to be that easy because at that point, I think it starts to serve some of the purposes that the insurance companies want from it without it kind of creating all of this burden for the doctor, for their office, for the patient. And so that's what we build towards. And that's the software we build is, is trying to make it as easy as possible. And then we work with other third-party stakeholders like pharmaceutical manufacturers to layer on certain kinds of services that make it super simple to get a patient through the process. So if you're in a doctor's office, you know, current state, or if they're not using a system like yours, you know, they're on the phone, two, three different sources, half the day, struggling, trying to figure out how to get Mrs. Smith on this medication. And what you're describing is for that person in the clinic, they've got a interface in front of them and they're pushing a couple of buttons and that's it? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. The way it's done right now is it's very, very facts, paper and pencil driven. You know, it's funny. I, I had a conversation with someone who is not from the health insurance industry. And I mentioned this, I mentioned that it was facts driven and her response was, <laughs> wait, faxes still exist. Like her mind she yeah. thinks of faxes like rotary phones, like they just don't exist. Only in healthcare. Yeah. You don't find them anywhere else. Only in healthcare. So it's a very, very manual process of getting that information to the insurance company. And it's a very easy process to lose track of, to actually have something slip through the cracks. And so what our system does is it takes it off of that very paper, pencil, fax-driven process, moves it into a digitized format that is significantly automated. So it's much faster for the practice. It takes you know about half the amount of time to actually get the authorization submitted to the insurance company. We've been able to cut things like the response time and, and the overall and the average time that it takes to actually get a patient onto therapy by about 70%. So it can have a really major impact on both the practice staff and kind of what they need to go through. But most importantly, it can have a real impact on the patient actually getting onto therapy in a timely way, getting onto the right therapy, the one that their doctor has said, this is what you need to actually get better to stay better. And I'm also assuming that the uh, renewal of a prescription would be simplified too, right? Yeah, that's a great question, Michael, because I think a lot of people think like, oh, you do this outside of the industry or outside of this particular process. They think, oh, you do this once you get the patient onto therapy. Like they're, they're drugs that someone is on for the rest of their life. And it's not like they just have to go through that prior authorization, that documentation process once. They have to go through that over and over and over again, whether it's every year, whether it's every six months. And if you talk to patients who go through this process, they'll say, you know, every year on the dot, I start to get nervous that this therapy that has finally made me better, that has finally helped me feel like a normal human being is all of a sudden going to get stuck in insurance limbo. And I'm going to have to go without that therapy for days, for weeks, for months, or maybe I'm not going to be able to get back onto it. And that's a really scary thought for the patient, because a lot of times these conditions are ones where like a particular therapy has totally transformed their life in the prospect of losing access to that therapy for, you know, anywhere from days to indefinitely is a pretty scary one. Absolutely. So with this system approach, all the algorithms, whatever else you've got going on, do you see that as being applicable to other pieces of the healthcare system? Yeah. You mean beyond just like individual drugs? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not just us, right? There's a whole crop of companies, both on the tech side and not the tech side, that are trying to help what I'll call it defragmentation of the system. So really trying to make it so it's not completely different process for every insurance company, for every drug, for every procedure. And when we think about what we're trying to do longer term, it's we start with a very specific segment and say, how do we get that process to feel more like a credit card swipe? I had this friend who made this analogy. It's like when you go to Radisson, you don't need to use one credit card than when you go to like the Hilton or when you go to the grocery store. And our goal is for it to be not just a simplified process, but to be a very simple, easy process that they can apply across all of the other types of care that that practice or that doctor is trying to deliver to their patients. Have you had difficulty getting the stakeholders on board, the insurance companies and so forth? Yeah, you know, I think at the end of the day, Look, there are a lot of big entities in, in healthcare, whether it's the insurance companies, the pharmaceutical manufacturers, and they have a lot of reasons for taking the actions that they do. Generally speaking, what I'll say is getting the practices, like providers on board is it's the easiest thing I've ever done in my career because there's so much need from their perspective. Literally got off a call yesterday 
And the person on the other end, this is from a, a large oncology practice. The person on the other end says, wait, so how long have you been around? I said, well, we've been around for about four years. She's like, why are we only hearing about this now? Why didn't we hear about this four years ago? So the provider side, there's so much demand there. On the insurance company side, on the pharmaceutical side, there's a lot of demand. I think they have their processes that they need to go through. And, and there's also some element of complicated incentives. But at the end of the day, you know, my dad, Bray, I mentioned he's a doctor. He does not believe me when I say this. But I actually think the insurance companies, just as much as all the other stakeholders in the system, want this to be better. And so moving towards that direction, being able to, to kind of show them, like, how is this going to make their process better has actually been really impactful for getting them excited and getting them on board. Same with the pharmaceutical manufacturers. Yeah, it's interesting. We had uh, Mark Cuban on Raise the Line recently. He's uh, launched a new company that's trying to tackle the problem of high drug costs. And he said, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, finger pointing, people are always identifying certain villains, and but it's much more complicated than that. And it really so is kind of, complicated, yeah. yeah, dependent on all of that. But if you can find a way to, as you were saying, bring value to everybody involved, all sides, all the stakeholders in this process, then, hey, they're going to listen to that, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And the truth is, when we started, we said, we want to make sure that we're focusing on a problem that's not actually loved by anyone. And, you know, there is this cynical perspective around things like prior authorization or that $300 billion in administrative by waste I mentioned that, well, someone's gaining from that. And like, sure, at some you know very specific level, someone is gaining from a lot of these processes, but no one looks at our system and says, that is a perfect healthcare system. We do not want anything to change about it. <laughs> Everyone can look at our system and say, there are clear problems. There are things that need to change. And there are enough of those problems that everyone wants at some level to change that I think there's plenty of room for, for folks, whether it's, you know, health tech companies or otherwise, to be able to try and thread that needle between the incentives, as long as they understand what those incentives are. To Mark Cuban's point, it's easy to vilify different stakeholders, but I think that's short-sighted thinking because it, it ignores the fact that there's some set of incentives that gets them acting in a certain way, but that also means there's there's some way to tweak those incentives so that they're acting in a way that actually is moving kind of the boat forward towards what I think everyone's goal is, which is better patient care. Yeah, I think the way he phrases or getting some of the distortions out of the yeah. system. Yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it. So you mentioned you've been up and running for four years, only gave you a couple of years before COVID hit. Talk about how COVID has impacted your business. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. In some ways, what I think COVID did was, you know, we're not the type of business where COVID happened and it shut everything down. Like there are certain kinds of businesses and then there are other kinds of businesses where COVID happened and all of a sudden it went through the roof. Like I think about like telemedicine, for example, or, or Zoom, you know, which we're having this conversation on. And it, it's not either of those, but I, I think what COVID really did in a way that in a weird way actually helped us was really emphasize the need for baking resilience into the system. I think that our system has been one that for the, you know, the last decade, in a lot of ways, there's not resilience baked in because it's almost like optimizing the best case while setting the conditions up to amplify the worst case. Like the example you always heard at the beginning of the pandemic was like ICU beds, right? Hospital for very real and understandable incentive reasons, didn't want to have too many empty ICU beds. And, and then all of a sudden, when you had this spike in demand, it created this huge problem. Um, and there, there are all sorts of issues with the supply chain, et cetera. And I think what COVID has done is it's really emphasized the need for resilience. And where that's relevant for us is, you know, 
technology can both be a cause of fragility or a source of resilience. It just depends on how you build it. With our product, just this idea of moving things off of a fax-based system, off of a very manual-based system where like someone's gone for the day and all of a sudden their you know, 15,000 row spreadsheet is no longer accessible by anyone else at the staff of a yeah. major office. Greg has his own way of doing it. And nobody knows how Greg does it. And so until he gets back from vacation, we're stuck. Exactly. That is not optimized for resilience, that process. And I think what our system has helped practices do is to bake more resilience into their underlying processes to make sure that like someone's out for the day, it's easy for someone to pick up. Someone has to work from home for the day. It's easy for them to pick things up and to act as if they, they didn't have to change their overall process. And so in that way, I think it's been helpful. And it's also been good because it's also forced us to think about like, how do we use our product and how do we think about the design of our product to encourage resilience, uh, whether it's the actual practice users that are using our system, the pharmaceutical manufacturers that are creating the drugs and then helping to actually ensure that patients get onto therapy, and then the insurance companies to do what they do. And we have both been able to take advantage of the need for greater resilience, but we've also become more conscientious about how we bake that into what we do and, and how we can kind of incrementally increase the resilience of the system through what we do. That's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that angle. And I'm also thinking it might be connected in some way to the burnout issue, because as you look at the surveys from providers, particularly physicians, administrative burden is a big push factor. Absolutely. Um, so if you can help in this way, I would think that would uh, alleviate that problem somewhat. That's such a great point. Uh, and, and I'll say one more thing to say on that point, Michael, is United Practice point out that no one wants to be a professional data mover. That's no one's idea of a good job. Everyone wants something that's more fulfilling. And by taking some of that professional data moving off of someone's plate, off of like an individual who doesn't really want to be doing it so they can focus on more complex, more interesting tasks, it definitely helps with burnout. It definitely helps with things like staff retention. And it also helps with things like, you know, improving the speed at which you can train a new person if you need to actually do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Onboarding. A lot of angles here. We only have a couple minutes left, so we always like to end with having our guests talk to our audience, which is uh, mostly medical students and health profession students and also early career practitioners, and do a wisdom drop. You know, what would your advice be to them? Obviously, a very turbulent time for anybody that's in the healthcare space, but it can be beyond just the fact that they're in healthcare, general advice about approaching their career. There are two things that I think it's really important to think about in healthcare. One, this point that we were talking about earlier, which is it's just so critical to think really deeply about the incentives of each stakeholder in the system, because it's, it's so easy to vilify or to assume like they are making this decision because they're greedy or they don't want to do the work or whatever. But I think whether you're you know, a medical student who's trying to figure out like, how do I interact with hospital administrators or insurance companies, or you're an entrepreneur that wants to build a product in the healthcare system, it's really, really important to understand like the core incentives that are driving each of those stakeholders and to pull beyond, to kind of pry beyond just the immediate of what are the obvious incentives and to go one layer deeper and to figure out like what are the actual incentives, not the ones that are like everyone says are driving kind of an individual's or uh, an entity's behavior. And the related piece to that is it's really, really important because there are so many adversarial relationships in healthcare. It's really important to remember that the people that are running these companies, that are working at these companies or these institutions or hospitals, et cetera, 
they're normal human beings. They, just like anyone else, operate on the same set of incentives. Generally speaking, I'm convinced most people can, you know, from purely financial perspective, they can probably make more money being outside of healthcare than in healthcare. So it's, it's worth just considering that these are people that are probably trying to do their job and in their little corner of the world, even if what you think they're doing doesn't really make sense, they're probably trying to achieve something that they think is actually making something about the system or a patient's experience better. But because of those incentives, it can kind of distort what they actually do in a way that, you know, from a global perspective, it's not making the patient experience better. It's not making clinical delivery better. But you have to acknowledge those two factors, which is like the incentives that are driving them and the fact that they are just like normal human beings that, that generally have the same motivations that you do. And I think regardless of where you sit in the healthcare system, because it's such a wacky interspersing of incentives, it's easy to forget those two things, but it's really critical to remember them. That's excellent advice and a, a good point to wind up on. I want to thank you so much, Sam, for being with us today. Thank you so much, Michael, for having me. This has been an awesome conversation. Oh, great. Best of luck with your company. I'm Michael Carice. Thanks for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together. For more information on how you can raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. Mm-hmm.